All right, Chas Smith, welcome to The Grid. Do you like it when people, Americans, uh, try to put on Australian accents? Like when they go to Australia for yeah. a bit and then come back? I like it if it's well done. Really? I like the comedy in it, of course. But what about a real bad one? No, it's awful. Yeah. Do you ever attempt it? No, but uh, from my time in Papua New Guinea as a child, like I lived there for two years and as I think it was uh, first grade, second grade, and all of my friends were Australian. So I came back with, you know, still I'll say reckon, I reckon this or I reckon that way too much. So I have some things that stuck in, but I don't ever attempt the Australian accent. It starts with the sayings for yeah. sure. Yeah. Because I've, the weird thing is um, a lot of it just becomes surf culture. And so we use the term mate to refer to a friend or something like that. And I'll use it with non-surf friends and they'll be like, oh, you're coming back from Australia and then you're calling your buddy a mate. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. I think I've always done that. I don't remember when I didn't do it. It has nothing to do with Australia. But It's bad. It's a trap. But I don't do, I don't do um, accents. And the worst thing is when somebody calls out like, hey, say something in an Australian accent, then I'm on the spot and it's terrible. The, uh, okay. So David Lee Scales just came back from Australia. Do, do your listeners know? They all know. They know. But the oh. listeners of The Grit may not know. Right. I, I mean, think are they different listeners. To, um, there's a lot of overlap, I'm sure. But I think we talked about it prior to me leaving. Okay. So David, David Lee Scales just came back back from Australia and David Lee Scales is also newly single. And so oh, I wonder, <laughs> but I just wonder, we won't even, we won't get into that, but I wonder, uh, you liked Australia. I loved Australia. You're a single man. Yeah. You loved Australia. Yeah. Why, why not just pack it up and move to Australia? What's, I, what's keeping you back? Uh, great question. And I don't have a good answer. The reality is I should. Yeah. The reality is I'm, painfully pragmatic and i think that i have anchors in southern california that are family i was born here friends a job all that sort of stuff and um i figure i could work out the job situation no so problem. that that i don't have to really worry about um the family they're fine without seeing me for periods of time and we can fly back and forth it's called Qantas. yeah so i have no good reason and the the other thing is it's a better way of life. Australia is a better way of life and stepping outside of my comfort zone would benefit me. It would enrich my life in a lot of ways and stretch me because I've had it too easy. Like I'm a middle-class white kid in Southern California. That's never been outside of about 68 to 72 degrees at all times. You know what I mean? Like I'm always comfortable. I have what I want. It's weird. I'm really gonna. I'm really gonna try to kick you I'm off this soft. shift. I'm gonna. Good. I'm gonna really keep pushing for you to move to Australia because there's honestly this time in your life there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't do it. I know. Like it's. I mean, you should move anywhere you want, but particularly yeah. Australia. Yeah. With with this modern technology, I could do the podcast from anywhere too. No problem. We could still co-host this show. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There, there's there's All not right. one thing keeping you back, and I would so happily come to Australia to visit. Mm. I could co-host with Derek too. Oh man, it'd be the best. Yeah. Yeah. Did You didn't meet Derek this time out. Dude, I'm kind of, it's on me. I should have reached out. I reached out in advance, uh, a couple of weeks in advance or a month in advance or whatever. And we kind of like just put it like penciled it in. And then once it came down to the time where I was going to be in Sydney, I was just so stretched thin. Yep. I was at that Visla comp and it was just all day, every day. They had all these shapers coming through. So I was interviewing surfboard shapers basically and couldn't imagine trying to catch a ferry to go meet him or whatever. Nope. Next so, time. When yeah, you move, when you move, time. they'll be all yeah, the time exactly, in the world. Exactly. Um, dude, we have lots to catch up we on. We have so much to catch up it's on. April 2nd. I'm so thankful. It's not April 1st. Really? Yeah. You know, one of my, I hate 
I love to start these shows with things I hate. Good. If, well, uh, it was actually in Barrel or Not today. Yeah, uh, I hate surf media particularly. Like April oh, Fool's okay. Day for in general is whatever, haha, right? Like I like that my six-year-old thinks it's fun or whatever. But in terms of surf media really trying to do uh, April Fool's anymore, there's nothing that you can say anymore that's, I mean, I guess it goes back to my core principle of surf is already so ridiculous yeah. that when you try to add more ridi- more ridiculousness onto it, then it's just like a real clanging dud. Except I will say I saw Reef uh, did, I, I don't even know if it was their April Fool's joke. I'm assuming it was, did a fanny pack. Uh, I think it was called like the Mick fanny pack or Mick fanny pack or something. Did you see it? No, it was on their Instagram. It's genuinely funny where the, there's a fanny pack where you have your reef sandal with its, uh, its bottle opener facing out. So you can pop no your, way. yeah, pop your bottles on your fanny pack. It was, it was really funny. So That's reef, awesome. I loved it. I could see that doing well, dude. I mean, the sandal did well. I think, yeah, we, I think right. reef should that- go, reef should get, uh, the not dumbest, but the, the simplest, like, kid in the room and just say, Hey, what do you want to see done? And just produce it because clearly that's their audience. Clearly their audience is for people who like to drink beer after yeah. walking around the city streets. <laughs> what if the sandal started out as an April fool's joke? It could, very well could have. I, I mean, to me, it's like clearly such an, again, I, I hammer it all the time, but walking around anywhere uh, and then popping a beer right. with the, with the sole of your shoe. It's insane. It, it is absolutely patently insane. And so anything, and I'm, yet the best-selling surf product of all time, by far, yeah. by far. They, yeah. I heard uh, they recently had to. We probably talked about it on the show. Um, they had Mick Fanning's uh, royalty was so big that they had to like redo the contract in order to make it reasonable, just because it was. I mean, he was just getting too much for, for this insane yeah, for this thing. Um, by the way, in Kulangata, is that how you pronounce it? Kulangata, Kulangata. Yeah, um, that's how I pronounce it. Ran into. Beach Grit commenter Twilsy. Oh yes. Did he did he call you out? <laughs> totally, did he dude. David Lee Skiles. Totally. I was literally walking um down the street and you know it's like lined with restaurants right there on the beach. Yeah. And he just shouted over, he's like, Chop hop, which is what Scott Bass calls my haircut. Yeah. And I look over and he's like, Hey, David. And I'm like, I obviously don't know who he is, but I go to say hi to him and he's sitting with his family. I won't give too many details about him because maybe you'd prefer to be anonymous, but, um, knocked us when he got up, the table was a little bit wobbly. He knocked his daughter's glass bottle of soda off the table. Oh yeah. It didn't break, but it hit the ground and then like shot soda across the way onto somebody else's family onto their feet. And we didn't quite like the bottle hit the ground, but we were so distracted by saying hi to each other. And he was explaining, Oh, I'm Twilsy from the, and then I'm like, Oh, okay. And so we were just distracted by that, that we didn't realize the chaos that was ensuing with the soda. And it was all, it went down in like a 30 minute. Hi, how are you? Oh, what are you doing? Oh, are you having a good time? Okay, good. And then we kind of, his family's cleaning up the mess and looking back and the woman at the other table was pissed like really really pissed i love i love that it's just a basically a metaphor for beach grit right there is it like i, I feel that yeah two beach grit people see each other and hug and just cause massive destruction all the way around them i mean that's that is the beach grit way right there he told me he dm'd me later that night because then like i was in a hurry to go meet somebody and his family needed his attention so like we split so he messaged me that night and he's like 
hey man, I don't know if you noticed, but I spilled soda on the other table. They were so pissed at me. Like, and I'm like, I know I did notice that. Why were they so, it was clearly an accident. Like that happens sometimes. Why would you get so upset? The lady looked pissed. That is a really, really, really a good story. It was really Quilzy, funny. Good on you for reaching out. Everybody should reach out. I oh, think. Okay. So here's the other thing that was really funny about it. And I hope, um, I hope I'm not reading too much into this for Twilzy because he seemed like a genuinely nice guy. I, I think that he's said critical things about me or about you, or I think just he said critical things in general about every story that's posted sure. probably, you know, as he should. And sometimes it's about me. And so he shifted into a mode where like he was explaining why he's been critical. So he was actually being kind and wanted to kind of justify the persona that is online. And again, I might be reading too much into that, but it was interesting to me because I don't feel any sort of animosity at all for any of the negative comments I've ever read. I get it. It's funny. Like we're all here trying to crack jokes and, and I'm extra critical about Kelly Slater, whoever it is that I talk about. So when commenters maybe comment on this episode, I understand if they're going to be critical because it's just more interesting and it's funnier, you know? I think it does take a, a lot of practice to kind of get used to, or not get used to it, but just to be able to absorb criticism in a way, or, or maybe people are just naturally inclined to do it, right? Like, but I see new surf people come on or new surf riders come on and get really bent out of shape about negative feedback. And I think it's just one of those things that either takes time or that you're pre wired not to care. I mean, I always think it's the greatest, right? It's the funniest. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it took me a little bit of time. Yeah. Do you think you were pre wired not to care? I think I was pre wired not to care, but would you care about, is there any version of criticism that you would care about? Um, uh, the stuff that I care about is this, uh, and not care, like you hurt my feelings, but I always take criticism as like, that's somebody's genuine, honest opinion about half the stuff I write Aaron, or a bunch on beach grit. It's whatever, you know, it's like, it didn't take me much time to clearly to do it, uh, riddled with errors and this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, mm -hmm. tea off on it. It's like, if I do like, uh, a criticism of a book, then it doesn't bug me. I just take it to heart. Right. I, I think, okay, what, what is this? critique saying and how can i either be better in the future or yeah or like or there's a dismiss. grain of truth in the criticism that's what i always yeah, feel and yeah, so yeah. so to dismiss it as personal attack mm -hmm. and so you know like rory parker for example though wrote a bunch of uh he went and did it he tried to get my goodreads or whatever you know, oh right my um we read that comment on yeah that. exactly i think we gave him a pair of sunglasses actually precisely precisely spy sunglasses so, so but that's just silly right like trying to ding somebody's which i don't care about the yeah. about the stars on the goodreads or whatever anyway but that's to me that's uh, that's just annoying what he did what rory did was annoying and not not honest like there was no grain of truth in there it was just rory being a dipshit yeah yeah um i agree with the sentiment about the grain of truth. I generally find that too. I think for the first few years of the podcast, the sting of the crit critique would still bother me a little bit, not enough to lose sleep over it. Like I don't, while I value my work and I'm proud of my work at times and that sort of thing, it's not um, who I am, you know? And so it's like, I don't know, this has nothing to do with my loved ones or my life. And so no matter what you say about it, I'm still going to compartmentalize it and not lose sleep over it. Well, and the fact that to me too, like, uh, we're, none of us are perfect. There's all right. kinds of stuff about me that, yeah, you're exactly right. Like I'm a total asshole. I fly off the handle unreasonably. I do this, I do that. You know, I know that about myself and there's, there's things that I'm sure I don't know about myself, but the, the negative critique is just part of, I think, who we are as people, right? Yeah. We're a mix of good and bad. For sure. 
The other thing is uh, I run everything through the first filter, which is there's no such thing as bad press really. Yeah. And so if you are, if you do have a negative critical cr critique, then at least you're engaged in whatever it is that we're doing. Yep. And at least you're restating it to other people who might have the opposite. And then they're going to fight back with you. And that's just all good. Sure. It's all good. If you're building a brand or media content or whatever it is, like that stuff is all beneficial 100%. for the brand. So it's, it's, it's always shocking to me when people don't realize that. And then they do take it personally and feel offended. It's like, no, 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 that's building your brand, dude. Um, at any rate, now that we've talked for 12 minutes about yep. ourselves, yep. which is actually the least <laughs> amount of time for us to segue away from, um, how was your time with Elo? Uh, it was, it was great. It, I mean, honestly, we could talk surf news. There's a few things we should cover, but I'm more interested in covering personal topics, catching up personally on this stuff. T totally. So Elo, uh, he's excited about being on the podcast. He, he, again, like reiterated okay. many times. So he's in Australia right now. Let's back up. Yeah. We all got an email that wsl was going to host like a media friendly like hey media come to headquarters meet eric hear what we're doing ask any questions you want and we'll do it in a group setting i couldn't go because i was in australia i didn't go either you couldn't go yeah. so then did he set a personal meeting no Is we, that how that worked? we had set a personal meeting before I, the second oh, the okay. second that he got into office i was hammering right. the wsl which right. with the get me in there i need i need a minute with you know with eric there's no way that i can write shit and keep writing shit without at least being willing to go and you know face the music i mean that's my yeah. personal mo or my personal what personal cross personal that's just what i have to do like if i'm gonna talk shit i need to look the what i'm doing in the face so uh yeah i had been hammering forever and then it finally got set and it just so happened to be set before right before that meet or the week before whatever it was that meeting got it so what was the mood when you uh, when you walked in so <clears throat> I walked in. It's really hard. Have you been to the WCL office? Yes. It's. It took me forever to find the front door. I had to call the secretary to figure out how to actually get in the building. You look uh, for the security guard out front, right? I mean, there was the security guard wasn't there though, so there's uh. just those blank. Like I saw the fence, but I thought there's no way that's the front door, but that's the front door because it's scattered buildings. It's not yep. just one office building, yep. basically. Yeah. So anyway, I got in in a residential area too. So like converted bungalow homes into offices. Very difficult sort of to figure yeah. out what's what. So went in, sec, you know, secretary <laughs> nice. Uh, I think I got was offered water, you know, all the classic stuff. Then taken up to um, a conference room, like the glass. It's a glass conference room, and you know, Eric will be here momentarily. Sorry for the delay. He's a really busy guy. And then you know, four or five minutes later, here blows in Eric Logan, Elo, like just a ball of energy. Uh, and just came sea dog, called me sea dog out of the gate. Um, and came to give me like bro hug, you know, like the hand slap to pull in to back slap, which I mangle those things nine times out of 10. And I fully mangled this one. Like, I think I missed his hand and then like, wasn't expecting the hug. And so, uh, yeah. were you expecting him to be reticent? No, of engaging with you? Or? No, 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 no. Because so here's what I was thinking going in. I was thinking. Eric, guys like Eric don't get where they get in life, especially uh, in the Hollywood, you know, in the Oprah world by being on their back foot. So what he's going to try to do, I figured, which is essentially what he did, is come in super hard and strong. And he's either going to come in super hard and strong on, hey, man, you're an asshole, but I love it. Or you're an asshole and it's not cool. Or, But I didn't think he was going to do that. I, I, I figured he would do likely what he did. 
which was try to get the upper hand in the relationship dynamic, right? Like all power dynamic play. And somebody, I think it was Otto, I can't remember who, whoever in the, in the uh, comments did an expert analysis. Uh, maybe it was Scott San Diego or Otto been there. One of those guys, I feel expert analysis of corporate power dynamics. And he asked me, you know, okay, where was Elo sitting? Where were you sitting? How many times did you check his phone? You know, went through the checklist and that's exactly the way the meeting you are. That's, you know, not that it was not personal, but I could tell uh, that this is what was being played out, right? There's an equation. There's an equation. There's a power dynamic. And what is, how is Eric going to play against it? And how is he going to try to get the upper hand is what I was thinking. Interesting. How long did the meeting last and what did you guys talk about? So it was scheduled for, I think, 30 minutes. You know, I was, I was told secretary, everybody, everybody going in, you know, Eric is a super busy man, way busy, way busy, way busy. And totally he is right. Like, uh, so I wasn't expecting, I was expecting like, you know, Hey, I was expecting myself to say, Hey, haha, funny stuff. Great to meet you. You know, can't wait to, to talk about real stuff. I wanted to get the podcast on the books. You know, this, to me, this wasn't meeting, wasn't a, um, necessarily for content for myself. I just wanted to a face the music and b set up the the kind of line of communication um but then yeah we we talk, chatted for a good hour wow uh yeah <clears throat> and went to his office and saw his big poster of laird hamilton and all that good stuff chatted about what for an hour um it was so he came in uh and wanting to save so i said i mean my first question to him was why what in hell possessed you to leave you know, a good paying job. I understand leaving Oprah. Like if he feels or felt that I've achieved everything I can achieve here, I'm president of the Oprah Winfrey network. And he really did turn that around. Like, I mean, it was, it was, I remember, you know, before even obviously knowing anything about Eric Logan, remember reading the, the entertainment media about the Oprah network just tanking, right? Like when they launched it, it never achieved its potential. Precisely. Like, and it really went to a tailspin, I think where people thought, okay, Oprah's Oprah's uh, brand is not nearly as strong, I guess, as we thought it was. They just couldn't recreate the magic that was on the daytime talk show. But then it totally did spin out, uh, you know, on Eric's, I'm sure a lot to do with his leadership or whatever. And now, you know, it's one of the most successful, I think, you know, franchises around. It's like doing, doing very well. Yep. And so I thought, okay, if he's like a turnaround expert in Hollywood, uh, you could get a job. I mean, he could go to stink and work for the Weinstein company, if that's still a thing or whatever, right? Like Mm -hmm. where... pick up a distressed Hollywood legacy asset and just flip it and make, you know, I mean, if you know how to do that. And so what would possess you to go to the world surf league? Right. So this is the one thing I really liked about him is, and this is, this is the one thing I think makes him a surfer more than anything else is just the willingness to honestly piss it all away. And I don't think he's, I don't think he thinks he's pissing it away. I think he thinks there's real value in the world surf league, right? Clearly. He, well, why isn't it exactly what you just said, taking a distressed property and turning it all around? Because there's a way better, and maybe <clears throat> and maybe that's how he sees it. Uh, there would just be, and, and maybe he just doesn't need or want much more money. There would just be a lot more lucrative places to do that. How do you know? I mean, we don't know what he's getting paid. Yeah, but there's absolutely no way the World Surf League is has has the resources. I mean, sure, if Ziff is just like Ziff hey, is, what do you want? What Ziff do you has want the over, resources over twenty years. Yeah, maybe. I agree with you that it doesn't seem like there would be as much lucrative, um, you know, viable opportunity from the WSL as there would be from some 
private equity funded, like VC funded um, production company or whatever, but maybe, maybe it is. And secondarily, maybe there's more upswing potential because if you look at things like the UFC and the trajectory that they had, where it was like fledgling, then somebody bought it for what seemed like an astronomical price, but wasn't. And then ultimately WME or whoever bought it for 10 times that amount of money and everybody then got paid out. Like that could be what they're looking at the WSL as totally. Like we're going to sell it to somebody giant in five years from now for half a billion dollars or whatever the number is. And maybe that's what Elo's and betting Eric's on. Taking, Eric's taking and Eric's like, look, could I've be. proven I could do it. That's what we're going to do here. And you guys have no idea what the numbers are, what the numbers could potentially be, but we're looking at UFC as a model. So in chatting with him, it's, it's all about, uh, what it's like the in his words the <laughs> contests or the you know the tour is kind of the sun that the that the universe orbits around but where the value and importance is going to be is in the universe right so it's mm -hmm. kind of uh, you know and bunch of surf movies like through netflix any kind of surf anything content i think they want to have a piece in our own which again stuff we've talked about here forever dude. of course of course but i just don't know and prove me wrong but i just don't i think there's value there but i don't think that there's billions upon billions of dollars of value there and prove i me think wrong. there is you, you think there is again look at ufc as model like they had a show on network deep network cable at one point you know now they have tons of programming dedicated to it all to prop up the tentpole events which are the the pay-per-view but I, I would imagine their pay-per-view the video games their pay-per-view uh revenues are just humongous yeah and i, I don't and i don't think that surfing there's no they could transition to that they could transition to a pay-per-view model but who's going to pay you know ufc is such an instant gratification of i'm going to see blood i'm going to see a winner and sometimes it ends you know in 30 seconds somebody just gets choked out but there's always the next time we're surfing i don't think you have that same kind of built-in anticipation for this one based on the model thing. that we've been following for the last 20 years you don't but they can restructure the model sure. and honestly if you just took both things on face value the ufc has way less viability it is freaking brutal you would never think that something that was that brutal bloody gory would ever appeal to the mainstream and yet they've done it surfing at least is sexy you know um so i think that they could structure it that way and i do think that there are untold ancillary kind of revenue streams that they could develop the ufc again merchandise like crazy gyms like crazy which we could do with wave pools um obviously pay-per-view all sorts of programming i don't even know i don't even know all the different things that they have i'm sure they have channels dedicated to it you know i'm a real skeptic i'll you, tell you the I'm nfl a, too look at the nfl is full channels dedicated to it programming 24 7 for 365 days a year i'm a skeptic i'm not a skeptic that it can it can make some money but I don't think that surfing will, the, the problem I think again too with surfing and other things is the more people who surf, the worse it is for surfers, uh, which is a, which is a specific thing, which I, I wrote about, but then, and also told Eric is like, if you're successful here and making surfing bigger, you're going to hate it. Like you're the one who, I mean, Eric's out there, I don't call it surfing, but out in the ocean, we'll call it supping and doing whatever crap hydrofoil thing he's doing. Um, you know, as much as anybody else. And that's a, there's, that's a special thing about surfing is the more successful it gets, the worse it is for people, for the average people doing it. 
yeah. at least the people in the ocean. And of course, the way blah blah blah. I'm just a skeptic. I don't. Think, I don't disagree with that. For I don't. Sure. I don't think that the it has legs. I think that Ziff can eventually bring it to a profitable business, um, but I don't think it'll ever be a wild, you know, wildly profitable business. See, I think the one super savvy strategic move here is pivoting away from competitive surfing sure but how many but how much i mean that's the thing is he was like you know it's going to be surf content surf content surf content right great i love it how much stinking surf content does the average person want to consume a year right not mm-hmm. only a surfer but so what are we talking say there's three netflix you know that's uh momentum generation right say you do three or four of those a year i think you've reached entire saturation level for what the what the public wants to consume of surfing. That's the problem is I don't think he was thinking that and maybe, maybe he has, but I don't think that there's an endless appetite for surf. I think you can have two or three probably good docos, maybe one or two good features. Like the, this is if they're like banging on all cylinders, right? Say three or four big docos, two or three features, one or two features, uh, and then a bunch of like interstitial 10 minute, you know, features on or little profiles on Italo or whatever like that. And I think that's it. There's no, it's not like the sky's the limit. No, I think the ceiling is the limit and the ceiling is about yeah. eight feet high. I think you're underestimating people's appetite for this stuff. I think there's little kids in, in India that won't see the ocean that would watch those things completely. But, but again, this is the gamble is how much, how, what is the appetite for surfing amongst people who don't, don't surf and Elo and the rest of them could be totally right. The appetite could be infinite for surf programming. I that, think that's I think what it's going to have to be. If not infinite, it's a hundred times more than what we've tapped into thus far. That's what I think. I'm a skeptic. Who I agree. So I hear you, but think about hunting like there are, there is that amount of content dedicated towards hunting. Sure. And then spinoff of that becomes Duck Dynasty and these weird, bizarre tangents that things go on. I don't even, I've never hunted. I probably never will. I love watching Meat Eater on Netflix. You know what I mean? So I, I think that it's just, you don't know that it exists until you kind of go sure. down the path. And I think there's enough kind of harbingers already that you can look at and go, okay, this has sex appeal. It has whatever all these other things are. Beautiful aesthetic. Um, I love that you came back from Australia. Such an optimist, a surfing, <laughs> a surfing optimist. I've always been the optimist. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I'm not even advocating for it, by the way. Sure, like I don't, I don't actually need any of that in my life. Obviously. And I have hit my saturation point, by the way. Like I'll have listeners send me, um, like, uh, I don't know, some new pod surf podcast or whatever it is like, Hey, do you listen to this yet? And I'm like, dude, the last thing I want to do is listen to a surf podcast. Like eight hours of my day basically is dedicated to surfing. When I get home or when I'm driving home, I'm listening to true crime. Yeah. I'm listening to just nothing to do with surfing, you know, anything but surfing. Totally, totally. Yeah. But that's you and I, because we're under the microscope sure. and we have been for so long. Sure. I think that Elo at all is kind of correct in that there's people who never people who want the content who are not interested in watching the nuance between a 7.5 score at manly beach versus a 7.8 score at manly beach totally you know so but that's all we've been feeding them that's all we've been feeding them and trying to figure out that revenue model so no 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 
Let's forget about that. That'll still exist. That's a part of surf culture. But then there's all these other things. I mean, and again, I totally agree with, uh, with the, yeah, the contest is the sun and, you know, other stuff as the universe or the Prodan always talked about it as the Marvel universe. Yeah, precisely. Which <clears throat> yeah. it makes sense to me. And I, again, I think you could grow it to a profitable business by doing that kind of thing. I just don't ever see surfing on, uh, even in the same whisper as NFL or UFC in terms of its, of its, you know, global value. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious. And there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Look, start considering that that's a reality because beach grit can be on the leading oh, edge. I mean, of I'm sorry. All of those things. I get in trouble. You know, I get in trouble for, for yeah, kneecapping us too. So yes. Okay. I'm sorry. But no, no, no. It's not even kneecapping. It's just saying like, start working towards that end because you guys are an early kind of you know, adopter. It's true. We'll hit the pause break real quick. Yes, of course. So you guys know Steve. Do you? Oh, nice I do. Hi. Before. Hi, yeah, pleasure. Can I sit down and listen? David? Of course he can. Can right. we put you on the mic? Yeah. So here's yes. here's the you know skinny. Let's have this conversation on air. Yeah, let me so where you get out of the way. You guys where Chaz is. Chaz, you come to me. There? Yeah. <laughs> Where's Chaz going to be? Right Chaz is going to join me. He's going to turn from interviewee to interviewee. God, so yeah, we just had a really. We're turn the mic by the way when you want to speak into okay. it because it's kind of directional. Yeah. Uh, we just had a surprise interruption. Steve Pesman has entered the building. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> uh, Steve, welcome. Thank you. It's always interesting to watch someone uh, pontificate about the sport and stumble into it uh, on, by accident. <laughs> you came. You came honestly at the perfect time. We were just uh, discussing. Surfing. So David Lee was saying that surfing is going to be, not might be, is going to be the biggest thing on earth, bigger than the UFC, bigger than the NFL, likely. I was saying maybe, but the snow, the ceiling for where surfing can actually grow, I think there's a ceiling. That's my take. Steve, you know. Well, I don't know. Who knows? But um, the question that raises a bunch of questions in my mind. 
Uh, can everyone relate to surfing? Do people that don't surf relate to it? Can they understand it? Can they look at someone right away and understand the reward that that individual is getting from riding the wave? Or do they look at it as a gymnastic uh, activity, which they could understand on that basis, but um, it loses three-fourths of its essence? You brought up a masterful point that I didn't bring up, but it's totally true that knowing how surfing feels is why watching surfing is fun, which I never even thought about that. All right, so I'm going to jump in. This was all based on conversations. Uh, the WSL hired this new media content creator, Eric Logan. Yeah, they're commodifying surfing. Exactly. Exactly. Shrink wrapping it. So the WSL traditionally has sold competitive surfing. And, they and why are they doing it? Which So part? they can monetize their own relationship with it. So they can make a living from it. Yes. If they didn't, Correct. they wouldn't bother. They Correct. wouldn't give a Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but traditionally, the WSL has always sold competitive surfing. So they're transitioning into this new world now where it's like, no, 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 we're also going to do documentaries on Laird Hamilton, free surfers, all these other things, big wave tour, air and air tour, all this stuff that we've always enjoyed about surfing in the magazines because the magazines weren't always focused on competitive. It showed kind of the whole culture. WSL is transitioning to show the whole culture now. And, uh, and like you said, figuring out a revenue model for how to do those things. So my point to Chaz was just that I believe in the potential of that based on the success of things like the UFC, based on the success of things like hunting, you know, reality shows. Like who would have thought the UFC would be interesting to anybody outside of, you know, 18 to 35-year-old males who like, who are have all their testosterone running full, you know, everybody's interested. More people are watching the UFC than you ever would have thought. So if you follow that model, I think that there is viability for creating an appeal for the masses. That's so, I mean, to Steve's point though, which I never thought about, you don't need to know how it feels to punch somebody in the face to appreciate somebody being punched in the face. I mean, I think that's, I mean, everyone's been punched in the face. I mean, I have, I, I've been punched. In the face. I've been slapped in the neck even. It's even worse. Uh, but yeah, like there is something too. You have to actually surf to truly appreciate surfing. So. Really? Well, to truly appreciate, yes, to absolutely truly. But a middle American who's never seen the ocean can watch somebody dropping in at Piahi and be amazed by that. And they'd watch it That's and they'd true. watch the commercial true, for it. True, true. So. Yeah. So what is it that uh, they're going to commodify beyond the competition? Their, their whole thing when I went and met with Logan is to uh, basically, again, he said the contests are the sun or the tour is the sun and they want now to do this universe, right? So they won't like any kind of surf content. I think Merchant. they they want a piece of like Netflix movies, you know, just stuff everywhere. Surfing, if it's surfing, then they want a WSL stamp on it, basically. Like any content, any media, any from 10 minute you know, little things to up to feature films. Reality shows, WSL branded product, merch. Well, in 1935, uh, people paddled out to unplug themselves from going to work, from going to the bank, sitting behind a desk, putting on a coat and tie. And, uh, and, and they paddled out and they stared at the horizon and, and watched for a set and tried to interpret what the set was going to do and then put themselves in position to uh, catch one of the waves and then do so in a way that gave them a, a ride that 
matched their aesthetic for what the ride was supposed to mean. And uh, none of that had anything to do with profit or gain. And it was non-productive, non-depletive. And so it was kind of a spiritual entity. And what the WSL is doing is departing that essence to commodify it and turn it into a substance that they can make money from. And I think it, 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 that, that special aspect of the sport was so uh, valuable, so cherished, so unique in human culture that um, it deserves to be venerated and celebrated and understood rather than obfuscated and uh, uh, left in the dust. So it offends me that these overeager uh, promoters uh, who are doing it for personal gain mostly and or else ego because they want to be the person that forms this important mass um, are denigrating the sport for, for, for some material thing that is not at all spiritual or uh, of value to me and so it offends me. Can both things coexist? That's a good question. And uh, look at look at motorcycle riding as an example. Like before Supercross came around, guys were riding bikes enduro style in the desert. Um, you know, working hard to find a natural jump to go off of, and that sort of thing. And then Supercross came along, and things move into the stadium. I'm sure the enduro guys were pissed or indignant about that, but now both <laughs> things. Does the existence of Costco crowd out the little liquor store in the corner? <laughs> I mean, it does. It undoubtedly does, but both things still exist. Yeah, you know? they do. Like, I they don't want to do. go fight at Costco to buy a bottle of booze. I'll go to liquors. Yeah. I, as long as as long as the uh, the sole aspect of surfing survives and is appreciated, uh, the other can do what it wants. It, where do, where do you see like what excites you about surf culture these days? Like, what do you look at and say, yes. That that looks fun, or this is interesting. Is there anything? Well, that's um, it's interesting to watch the leading edge of the riot itself and see how it's uh, how it's morphing and and taking advantage. Like they they're riding a different energy portion of the wave now. They're riding the cycling swell energy versus the face of the wave in uh, foil surfing. And uh, uh, and they're and they're kiting up into the air and departing the wave and using the wave as a launch ramp, and uh, I think all of that is quite different from uh, riding the face of a wave as it rolls towards the beach, and I don't think it's better or worse. It's just another form of doing it. Um, so I, I think it's just uh, it's nature's free rides, really. You know that that are what get us off. It's uh, it's catching a wave and not. And, and no longer needing to be the engine and 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 you're you're being propelled by a natural force and there and there's a curl that you can uh, uh, dance in relationship to that offers some uh, challenge and you can measure your your skill and the thrill and yourself against that little moment and it's soft non-harmful doesn't have to hurt you. So it's just a it's just a very joyous look at the dolphins, the birds. It's a form of play. And uh, yeah. It's the most beautiful 
uh, description of surfing I've ever heard. My you you made me a believer again. <laughs> I'm back in. Beach Grit's gonna have a Beach Grit's gonna be antidepressive again. <laughs> I, I accept tithing. <laughs> it's coming. Um, what are your thoughts on print is dead? It's the most famous. The most commonly used headline in digital media is that print is dead or print has been dying for the last mm-hmm. 10 years. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the outlook of print? Well, it certainly has changed its role. And as our culture uh, changes its habits, uh, it becomes less uh, of the mainstream mode of gaining information or sharing information. Uh, electronically is the way now and uh, but that being said print has um, has a value that continues on uh, in that the experience of of absorbing it holding it in your hand turning the page looking back and forth all the options of of absorbing it are different than electronic media and the context of what you're reading in relation to the rest of what you're holding, uh, it's all way different. And uh, so I think there'll always be um, uh, an appreciation for print on, on, a, on a lesser vi- uh, basis than when it was the only mode of uh, transferring information for the most part, o- other than verbal. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you read books? I mean, when you I do like paper yeah. books, yeah, yeah, I'm a voracious uh, reader. Yeah, I and mean, I, I I read several books. Uh, I read a book a week. Are you a Are you a Kindle reader? No. You're a, a physical book reader. Yes. Yeah, I do, I don't understand. I mean, and to the journal too. There is something about, again, not in a uh, I don't I don't even think a nostalgic way, but I think you're exactly right. It, it, reading print is brings something different than reading. Digitally, I think. I mean, there's a different experience. I'm curious how business has changed at the Surfer's Journal in recent years, especially as we've seen um, mm. these other mag- these other surf magazines go away, yeah. and even Surfer Magazine reducing yeah. their output yeah. in terms of... Yeah, seems, Surfer seems to be slowly kind of... Is it quarterly now? Uh, yeah, I, I, it seems like it's drying up, you know. And but because Surfer's it, Journal hasn't seemed to. Like well, it, that's, that's because... Uh, Surfer Magazine is based on advertising, and advertising is switching to electronic media because it's just uh, goes deeper and it's more hip, and it's just what's going on. Um, and so the journal had the balls to charge uh, a, enough to make a profit for for selling something we print. We we make it for five bucks, sell it for eight bucks, or whatever. You know, the fact of the matter is is uh, it's a mildly profitable business but still profitable. And uh, we have 20,000 subscribers, give or take. It goes up and down, but it's kind of holding steady. Do you, I always wonder that because I've, I've heard the figure 20,000 for the surface journal that, that stays pretty steady. And, and that's where the business is built, right? Like you guys aren't trying to expand. uh, I mean, I'm sure you want more subscribers, but there's not this big push to get more, right? I oh, mean, yeah. We'd love to, but we don't know how. <laughs> Listeners. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that is is that when we started in 1992, uh, aside from doing a, a direct mail uh, drop uh, to surfer subscribers and Surfrider Foundation uh, members, we, uh, we, we gained subscribers by selling single copies at bookstores, not newsstands so much. 
and p- let people discover it, hold it in their hand, become entranced and subscribe. And that's how we built up. And we got up to about 23,000, 24,000 um, uh, subscribers. And some of that was by, uh, well, aggressive distribution to bookstore type outlets and internationally too. But what's going on is bookstores are going away. So we're having to convert to electronic uh, uh, marketing and introducing people to print via electronics. And they don't get to hold it in their hand. They don't really get to sense what it is unless there's something that connects for them or that we tease them with content or ideas or something. But so far, so good. And so we don't know how long, you know, are we um, in our, you know, the, the 60 and 70 year olds are dying and the 30s are turning into 40s and 50s and that's our meat so um uh, we don't really know what the long-term prognosis is for our survival on the other hand we just started a golf publication and it's thriving and doing rather well Mm. and uh, so it appears that um a certain approach to content which um um, you know, g- digs beneath the surface and gets in depth and and uh, provokes a person who has experience and knowledge on their own uh, of a topic. So it's a conversation worth having with them and it's worthwhile for them to have with us and they pay us 75 bucks to have it six times a year. <laughs> I, I always think that the journal allows my mind to wander. Like, you know, I think everything is so pointed and specific in everything else I consume. Uh, when I get the journal, I get to go out on the porch and sit down and just allow my mind to just be free for a minute. Like look at things that I would have never discovered myself or because they would have never been served to me, right? Like, because it's not what I check every day online or whatever. So it's not the content that I'm getting served. And then, which just, again, like the freedom to read things it's like going to the you know i mean again i hate sounding nostalgic about stuff but it's like going to the record store or a bookstore as a kid and flipping through stuff and having stuff come out at you as opposed to being served to you right that's what i every time i sit down with the journal that's what i feel well think how much fun it is to make it mm-hmm. because you're sitting at this influx of material that you've built you've worked a long time to create a suction and find intelligentsia and, and input points and voices and things that you respect out there and you turn the spigot on and it doesn't stop right away and it just keeps coming in and you begin to sift through all this stuff and build uh, issues out of it and it really um, changes your perspective i've been publishing surf magazines or involved in publishing surf magazines since 1969 more or less non-stop until last year or two when i've retired from the journal and I still have my uh, nose in the door there, although it gets slammed on it rather frequently. <laughs> and uh, um, when you watch something intently in order to derive content from it and understand it and, and sort of see what's of value that's worth transmitting, um, you pay you, the attention that you pay to it is so close and intense that over a period of fifty or sixty years, it gives you a perspective on the on the topic that's a little bit different than anyone else's, and it's not better, it's not more correct or anything. It's just, but it has a has a, a really broad basis based on the, on the variety of people it inputs: the readers, the athletes, the 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 the, the journalists, the photographers, the you know, it's just an endless uh, array of experiential 
and artistic and f- philosophical uh, thought about this topic that that represents all the dimensions of human existence: athletic, poetic. Uh, it has a lot of meaning, and uh, so you know, it's like when you start populating the pages of a magazine, you wonder how you can continue to put colored dots on paper. And uh, after a while, you realize that there's no bottom to the well because it's really about people interacting with nature and that will continue to aberrate and abstract and elaborate and complex and mystify and so forth. And so it's just, it's a joyous task. And uh, as long as the readers... uh, are enjoying it with us. We're so grateful because, uh, you know, there's a group of people that put the journal out and every one of them is um, kind of consumed by the ethic of it and and feel honored to be uh, engaged in in helping articulate that ethic that exists in the sport. I think that's important. Sometimes you see editors come and go and you'll notice the magazine kind of shift to their ethos as they come and go. But I agree, like the surfer's journal seems to be the most important thing and the employees recognize it as the legacy is bigger than their input into the legacy. Are you shaking your head now? No, no, but I just think that uh, you can't let the journal uh, uh, get beyond itself and uh, begin to worship it unto itself. It's really the ride that's the energy uh, generator, and the journal is is uh, leeching <laughs> off of that and sharing that jazz, you know, sharing the jazz. It's like listening to a jazz combo play, and uh, the, we happen to be sitting on the stage twanging our instruments. Yeah. But, uh, but there's a shared ethos. And, and you know, and there's a, there's a number of other people out there, like Matt Warshaw, for instance, is, has another combo that he plays, and he's a solo act, but uh, he, he teams up with various people, and he's an artist and an aesthetic. Drew Campion, those are people of my era that I can relate to, and I'm sure there's a, a, a new, uh, you know, upcoming crop of, of people that uh, look at surfing from an, uh, that standpoint, from a kind of a... Well, if you do it for a long time, it gets kind of dull and boring f- to go at it from a yo dude kind of perspective. <laughs> yeah, here we are, yeah. you know, talking about it because we're all engrossed in it. You know, um, one of the things I worry about is that the supply chain, like as the business model folds with these other magazines going mm-hmm. away, that mm-hmm. your supply chain of content creators, that spigot you were talking about, writers, photographers they don't have a viable income to spend the entire year on the yeah. road anymore. Yeah. Have you noticed that drying up at all? Is it well, hard you know, to get uh, a Scott plus? Hewlett did a, a really clever thing um, at some point in his 15 to 20 years of editing the journal, is he looked for a journalist who happened to surf. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder too, also, I mean, I think that I love the fact that uh, if you're not making money off surfing, if you're a journalist who happens to surf or any anything, right? A teacher that happens to surf and like to write or whatever, like to me, I mean, that's where the real, like trying to make a living off of surf writing has always been asinine. Yeah. I mean, right. I think like, I love it, right? Do you disagree? 
No, I, th- I mean, well, I mean, it's sort if of, if you, uh, if you do make a living off it, then, 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 then fantastic. You, you won the lottery, right? But it's what you're going for. If you're thinking I'm going to make money, then you're going to have to compromise yourself. I think to yeah. be on, you know, you're just going to end yeah. up copywriting, which is, I feel what, you know, what's happened to stab more or less has just become copywriting for the brands now. Right. And it used to be, have a vibrant, vibrant voice where that's what writing for money looks like. Yeah. And it's not good writing. Well, you write about surfing for the same reason you write a wave. And so writing about it is writing a wave uh, with people watching except they're reading. I uh, 100% agree. And any time a kid asks me what, I say don't aim to make money. Write because you love it. As long as you can't help but write about surf, that's all that matters, right? And if you get paid, great. But that's totally the secondary aim, I think. When When you write about a topic... Um, you're exploring it for your own benefit. And if you find something that's interesting, a nugget that's worth uh, developing and elucidating on and, and putting into context in various ways, and it flushes out into an article. And, uh, uh, you know, after I write an article, I go back and reread it and rewrite it for the next five years even after it's been published, because I always find things that could be improved or I, I, I miss an idea or something or other. So e- each of those things is, like if you had a surfboard that was never glassed and you could continue to shape it, you would never stop. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, You should start figuring that out at U.S. Blanks. <laughs> surfboard blanks that you never have to glass. It's interesting. That, 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 <laughs> okay. Now that is a is a is a um they would just get smaller and smaller eventually you'd have to start with a larger core again (laughs) but you know it'd be series a series b this was this was 10 years this was five years this was that would be an interesting uh form of uh you know experimentation that's what tom kern's doing with a uh what is he calls it super dave that skim board he's like gluing foam on the outside and then doing shaping it down basically building footwells into it changing the fins but it's all the same board yeah isn't it interesting to look at the evolution of surf craft and uh, from from the earliest stages of humanity where it was all very basic kind of organic uh uh lightly reformed and then more and more and more and more and then as the uh as the core materials became uh uh, refined or more, you know, in the in the current in the 1900s, where it began turning into uh, a more uh, composite kind of a thing, and then finally the crux of uh, that period. I've, I've been invited to uh, participate in a discussion about um, the 50s and 60s as a fulcrum point, and uh, that's to me that's the period where. Uh, f- uh, fiberglass allowed balsa wood to be the core balsa wood allowed boards to be shaped and then foam allowed balsa wood to not limit the growth of the sport because it was a limited commodity and those those things along with the advent of the wetsuit is what catapulted surfing into the mainstream and made it uh, something that could be commodified Yeah, in, um, a, in a nutshell interestingly you were talking about the foil boards tapping into that kind of energy underneath the face of the wave right those old boards like the um hot curl 
that's really what that's tapping into as well. You know, mm. it's a boat hull sitting underneath the surface of the wave, yeah. and that's the energy that it's drawing. It was displacing and riding slightly below the surface of the ocean totally. for at least a half or if not more of the board. Um, so that's an interesting point. It's cyclical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, it, and body surfing is an interesting start point, you know, yeah. if you look at that. And... Um, um, how highly developed it can be, and then you begin adding planing surfaces. So the whole idea of of, of riding that that energy source is, um, or which part of it you're riding, yeah, is, is something that's just a, a human uh, exploration of them of, of themselves in relationship to nature. Yeah. That's really what surfing is. It's just you're just getting a sense of yourself in relationship to nature. Totally. Um, I, in addition to the show that Chaz and I are co-hosting, I do these long form interviews with luminaries of the surf world. And uh, one of the final questions I always ask them in closing is what surf media they follow. And virtually everybody says the Surfer's Journal. Well, that's very flattering. Yeah, I don't know how many of them are paying for their subscriptions to well, it. Yeah, if those are among all the, the people 20... get it for free. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, I always try to encourage them to well, uh, thank you. support. Yeah, the things. Thank that you, they all do of enjoy. you out there who uh, support us. We we depend on that to continue to do it, and uh, eventually we won't probably. When uh, I'm no longer hands on, my wife is relatively still hands-on, not so much from a content standpoint, although from a marketing standpoint, she does uh, have a voice in that. But um, um, it's, we're just in the process of going through an evolutionary phase where uh, Scott, who's been the editor for 20 years, will eventually uh, phase out. And uh, someone, another team of, of people will come in to translate what we're talking about right now yeah. and how that will resonate and express itself and what form it will take. I'm excited by, and also, uh, uh, a little worried about, you know, cause I, who knows, you know, maybe they're going to, um, I don't know, but one thing but I thought was interesting, like this past weekend, I think I did a, the Lisa Anderson film trouble. Right. And so that was on the surface journal streamed trouble over the weekend, this past weekend, um, for free for subscribers. Right. Which I thought fantastic com or like you had to be a subscriber. Right. But I thought that what a great concept is. It felt to me like, again, what the journal does best is curate the, you know, the, the things yeah. in surfing that are interesting. And what a great opportunity for us too to enrich the subscriber value with your creativity. Totally. But things like that, I thought, okay, cause I never seen the service journal do this before. Right. But because it was a specific online offering, uh, but that felt like it was in the vein of the journal. Unlike it wasn't just like the journal trying to do something online. It felt like the journal and w the core essence of the journal actually being online. Which and I you thought, know, the, the concept of that is really exciting because um, if we became a funnel to subscribers uh, f for beyond what we do, but what we noted and, 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 and dished, um, um, it would be a symbiotic relationship between all those other creative people in our readership. Completely. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought this is like good on the journal for, I mean, for making this dance or, or almost broadening the dance, right? Because that's what it is. I think between creative people doing stuff and, and, 
a place for it to be. But also, I think the curator, which again, I mean, I say tell anybody who listens, Scott Hewlett is a like a maestro of curate curation. That's what he's done. I think. I mean, he's a great writer too, but. The way he puts the, you know, how, and not just him, I'm sure it's a team that curates. But I'm really glad to hear that because, uh, and it would flatter him intensely um, to hear that because, um, you know, after a while you scratch your head. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a, that's his art though. He's done it, right? Yeah. He's put these people and together. It, and the journal's been his probably most uh, profound mode of expressing that art. And so he's, he's done us well he's done an honor to us in the sport what surf media do you follow um i look at um um i look at surfer when it comes out and i happen to get a copy um i look at at the internet over the shoulder of my two 32 year old sons when they're browsing what websites are they browsing? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> hey, I don't have a cell phone. <laughs> no way. You don't? No. That's Crazy. Not a, what a creep Do you have any idea who Chaz and I are before you walked in the room? No, I didn't. No, I know. <laughs> I know. No, I know who you are. I know who you are. But only mostly because of your interaction with the journal. Yeah. Not because of all the other stuff that you do. And, uh, and I've noticed, you know, your voices are interesting and uh, provoke people like myself to want to know who you are you know <laughs> good glad to hear that flattered to hear that you might not remember this i actually interviewed you for the podcast five years ago no in your office across the street oh uh, you know i caught you off guard like you had agreed to do it via email maybe three days in advance or something yeah. but we set the time and then i showed up and you were like oh I got to get to a doctor's appointment at noon. I'm like, can we get it done real quick? You're like, absolutely. If, if you haven't noticed, I'd love to hear myself talk. <laughs> you were very gracious because um, considering that you had double booked your schedule, you still honored our meeting. You know, for some reason, but, my dad was but a it playwright was early days. And, uh, and, a, and a public speaker, very comfortable. And somehow I uh, became uh, uh, comfortable with those things from being around him and watching him do it. So I've never been intimidated by standing up in front of people because I just figured, you know, they're just like is sitting at a table with someone talking to them. You yeah, know, they're sure. just listening. They're not judging you or thumbs up. Well, they judge what you say, but you don't. It's not like if there's a hundred or a thousand or five thousand. It really doesn't matter. It's just like talking to someone. So you just relax and talk. Yeah. Um, Chaz and I close out every show with a game we call Barrel or Nah. Barrel being. Yes, I love this thing. Nobbing, I am so not into this thing. So we're going to include you in today's game. Ooh. So we got three topics. Chaz doesn't know what they are. I tee them up. I'll let you guys argue whether or not they're barrel or not. First one, April Fool's Day. Yay or nay? I'll start. I'm a big nay on especially surf media April Fool's Day. You know, every April Fool's Day, surf, all the surf media, at least maybe this is an online thing, do, does their big April Fool's joke, right? I mean, yeah, you couldn't do it in a magazine because it's hard to hit your April 1st publication deadline, I would imagine. But so it's online surf media. There's always a dang surf joke, right? They're always like, oh, I mean, what was the one? There was one that the snapper was going to move to Deba for the contest, right? Ha ha ha. Okay. But like, there's been these for like 20 years now and I'm so tired of any surf joke. I tell David, I tell the listeners all the time, 
to me, surf is already so absurd that when you put a joke on top of it, there's no way that anything is more absurd than men dancing in black pantsuits on waves in the water. It's it's the max absurdity. So that's my take. So you're going not. I'm going not. Chaz isn't into April Fool's Day. Steve, are you into April Fool's Day? Do you prank your wife? No, I've never Do even you- heard of April Fool's. Amazing. Are you kidding? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just don't. I don't pay attention to it. I don't celebrate it. I don't put any energy into it. You've never been faked out? I've I've been the victim of April Fool's Day, I'm sure, but I don't remember. Dang it. I wanted to hear that story. Maybe it's been so painful I I blacked it out. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay, moving on. We've got one gnaw for April Fool's and one One pass. Indifferent. Okay, topic number two Uh, barrel or gnaw, flipping off the camera. I've have been caught so many times. It's awful. Have you been caught? Have you ever I been? Do it. Have you ever been cajoled though by a photographer? No, I've no. been told by a photographer. Okay, come on. Now show us the middle finger, boy. Uh, I'm gonna say barrel. No. I'm gonna say it's jump. I'm gonna say it's jumped back to be cool. I'm gonna say it was so uncool for so long that it's cool again. That's what I'm gonna say. It's way better than a ironic shaka to the camera. Mr. Pazman? I, I have to uh, give it a thumbs up because I think it's a valid form of uh, expressing your feelings about uh, having someone point a camera at you uh, and not wanting to be intruded on or violated. Uh, or uh, It depends on your, on, your, on your mood, but it's frequently an accurate reflection of where my head's at, and therefore I don't mind doing it. Mm. Shocking double barrel. Wow. I did not see that going that way. <laughs> so, Steve, let me clarify. Are you saying... It's barrel if it's intended for the photographer. Well, like, hey, don't point it's my It's intended cam- f- for the photographer because you have no idea who's going to be looking at the image, so you're not you're not expressing it to them. Okay, you're expressing okay. it to the photographer unless you have a clue, or unless it unless you're expressing it to the audience, and that can be that can be. Uh, in which case it's a much broader, more callous uh, expression and equally heartfelt. Wow. So barrel either way. Wow. I did not see that happening. I'm going nah on that. I just, I watched. So you're Mikey. a decent human being. I try to be. I yeah. try to be. Or I pose as one. That's why you wear robes. Robes? Yeah, you're wearing robes. <laughs> Am I? Yeah, oh. you're the judge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Rabbi. I watched Mikey Wright's new edit. Quicksilver at it. And he's flipping off the camera throughout the whole thing. Like every time they point the camera at him, whether he's in the car at the beach or whatever, he's flipping off the camera and it felt almost contrived. It's sophomoric. It is sophomoric for sure. And I also feel like Quicksilver's got this character of the mongrel and he drives the four wheeler and he has a mullet cut and he's slugging a beer. And so he has to flip off the camera as part of this persona that it just felt contrived when it's, when it's commodified, I think it looks lame, yeah, but if, but if, but if Mikey was, if that's, I mean, he is just a bogan, right? I mean, he's yeah. an Australian bogan. And so that's what Australian bogans do. Yeah. So it is a, <laughs> it is a, it's a, it's a rehearsed uh, reflex or inborn reflex. It is. That's, what you, that's yeah. what you get Fair on enough. that, on that. If you, if you're born and you consider yourself to be an insult to humanity, then you insult humanity in turn. Fair enough. Which is all Australians are an insult to humanity, pretty much. Absolutely. Hurt, hurt people, hurt people. Um, it actually reminds me of um, what when you see somebody claim a wave in a surf comp, like if they sincerely got the best barrel of their life at Chopu and they come out praising God for it, like 
how can you not love that? Because it's sincere. When they're doing it to juice the judges for an extra half a point score, there's nothing more offensive, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Okay, final one. Chaz just got back last night from a camping trip. Barrel or not, camping. Are you camping much at this age, Steve? Um, you know, one of the best things I've done over the last 20 years was uh, go down to the Seven Sisters in northern central Baja. In a, I have a, a diesel crew uh, cab uh, pickup and, um, and spend a week at a time down there where uh, there were very few other humans. You could walk naked around, no one offended. Um, you know, you, you were just out there with the people you came with. And uh, I loved that. I loved uh, the getting into the rhythm of dawn and dusk and the fire and the and the tides and bocce ball and the, and the mud flats and just just being outdoors instead of in is wonderful. So I love camping. I love camping, and it's a little arduous for me now. So my version of camping is a motel room <clears throat> under a hundred dollars. <laughs> I was going to say, in that Seven Sisters situation, are you in a tent? No, I, I sleep in the back of my truck, but a lot of those who ride with me are in a tent. My sons, other people, other elders, um, and a tent is certainly okay, you know, and we eat well and drink well. Believe me, we don't go for, for want of anything, you know. The, I'm a new Steve Pesman style camper where I'll admit that uh, this last camping trip by camping, I was in a cabin with a refrigerator and all kinds of good food and drink as well. But I think you hit the nail on the head is the point is just to be outdoors as much as you can. And when you're camping, right? I mean, whether you're in a cabin or a truck or a tent or whatever, it's just about being basically outside from sun up till way past sundown. Uh, that's what I love about, you know, whatever for, however anybody wants to call camping. It's being outside all day long and never going in. And the neat, neat thing about the sisters is there's a dirt road to the camp spot, and it's remote. So you can haul a lot of stuff with you, and so you can be very comfortable and still be outdoors. So you're not, it's not like you're, 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 you're carrying stuff in a backpack and scrimping and yeah. boiling bark for tea. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, you can go on Amazon and find luxury product that will make your camping trip feel so like camping a lot is not, It's not what it once it, was. Camping means a lot of different things. Yeah. So for me, I'm going, I agree with both you guys. Like I need, I would like to have running water and I would like to have a clean bed. Those are kind of key elements for me. Sleeping in a tent is tough at this point in my life. I have fond, fond memories of doing it throughout my entire childhood. But at this point in my life, I would like a shower and I would like a clean bed. Question, how clean does your bed need to be? Um, no visible bugs. No bugs. Nothing that you feel crawling on your skin. Correct. Correct. Right. I have well, that's had that not happen. too clean. Yeah. No, no, I don't need it to be like luxury hotel, but... I mean, one of the best trips I've had in recent memory was last October. I went to Zion, which is one of my favorite places Wonderful. in the world. Wonderful. And again, to Chaz's point, stay outside all day. Hike the Narrows for 10 hours Immersed a day. in the glory of nature. Completely. But have an Airbnb. So go back to the Airbnb at night where you have like either a heater or an air conditioner. Shower fully kind of regenerate and then go out, to, <laughs> go out tomorrow me. and do another 10 hours in 
the glory well, of nature. Also, it's, I mean, I think with camp, did you build uh, fires in Zion? That's the problem is no. And that's the one thing I miss about camping is like the campfire food just tastes better around a campfire. I, I just scrambled eggs on the campfire yeah. and yeah, like the tasted like smoke and ash and it was the best scrambled eggs I'd ever had in maybe my life. Completely. $10 Argentine red wine out of a plastic red cup tastes better than first growth Bordeaux. How about how, uh, how about uh, digital and electronic communications? Eliminate all of it. My wife was real bummed at our camping because there was signal up at the cabin yeah. and she was, she was totally banking on that it would be signal free and it, it killed her that the fact that she could check her email, because of course you check your email if you can, even if you purpose not to. If you're 75 miles away from the nearest human being and your cell phone rings, it really fucks it up. Oh, completely. It yeah. Completely. Whatever goodwill you built for the previous day or two gets washed away and you start you from are. scratch. <laughs> Well, um, this has been a really unexpectedly awesome episode of The Grit. It's honestly the best drop-in I've ever had in my entire oh my life. God. It is a Come straight... On. No, no. This, I mean, when I get dropped in onto the ocean, I get <laughs> rage-filled. But this one is just like, I'm going to leave glowing about surfing did, did, for the, the rest it, of the week. Did I leave bruises on your shins? I told, I have, they're all bloody, but this was just brilliant. Okay. It's all thanks, by the way, to the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, um, who provides our home studio if you live anywhere in Southern California or you're swinging through, come and visit. If not, at least become a member online and support the efforts. And to Steve's point about the surfboards, how they changed, like, uh, or yeah, I mean, all of that stuff, it's all right here. So you can walk around and see the entire history of surfboards here, which may sound tedious, but when you're actually standing in front of Duke's surfboard, uh, it is not tedious at all. It is like magnificent. If you can, you imagine uh, what happened on that board? I mean, it's. I can't even imagine. I mean, I couldn't. I don't think at this point carry that board. I like. I don't know what <laughs> what those people did. I don't know how they how they did that dance on those boards. That, the, the the total aggregate experience in that room on all those boards is beyond crazy. Conception. It's beyond conception. Uh, Steve, what is the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center to you? Who are they? What's your connection? What does it mean? Well, as I spoke earlier, <clears throat> the, uh, the 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 origins of surfing uh, in a uh, non-commercial kind of detached from society way, where you become uh, focused on the horizon and the waves and everything, uh, and and what was born of that um, is to me what this celebrates, and 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 so it's a and it um, and it will go celebrate the very various manifestations of the sport as it continues to roll i'm sure the don meeks and and the various people that are more of that era are more inclined to celebrate those things but uh to me it celebrates the the just the treasured um totally um individualistic uh non-profit Non, non-productive, non-depletive nature of the sport, and and you see the boards um, uh, evolving through those eras in their collection, and those are spiritual totems. The um, at, we started off the conversation talking about the WSL kind of commodifying aspects of surfing. 
that hadn't been commodified before. I almost feel like that is analogous to the role that the Surfers Journal and Surfing Heritage and Culture Center play, where it's like these things represent the way that you talk about surfing. Mm-hmm. They represent just kind of like this communal, communing with nature sort of a thing. And then a lot of other surf media kind of represents the other thing, the commodification. Well, let's see how they style it, uh, because how they package it and style it and present it will have a lot to say about how aesthetic and uh, pleasant to me it is. Because if they they overbuff it and uh, change what it is to suit their needs, then it won't appeal to me. But if they... uh, if they if they put it on a pedestal in a corner and let people notice it, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. All right. Beachgrid.com is where you find everything that we discussed in this episode. People should also subscribe to the Surfers Journal print publication. Yeah. What's the yearly cost on that? I don't remember, but uh, you can get us at surfersjournal.com. Perfect. It's worth, Perfect. worth every dime. Awesome. All right. And uh, again, thanks to the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center and spyoptic.com. By the way, use promo code podcast. We did not give them their proper due today. Uh, All right, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you.